Yeah, and you know, speaking from a fluff perspective, I really think that the kin have the fluffiest and coolest kind of keyword in all of Bayou. I- that says that says a lot because it's a it, it's a fluffy it's a fluffy faction. Howdy, folks! Another great deep dive this time uh, Bayou and Ophelia Lacroix. Uh, it's a good episode. You get a chance to hear uh, my good friend uh, Jesse Ellis talk about um, everything about Ophelia, including uh, he does a great walkthrough um, on all of her upgrades and uh, not only what each of those upgrades do, but when they might be the right choice. I loved his overview of all the different Bayou versatile models. He does a really good breakdown of the Lucky Effigy and makes an argument why it should be seeing more table time. Uh, you get the pleasure of hearing me get triggered by 12 cups of coffee in that discussion. Uh, last but not least, you'll hear us talk about Armacon. Um, that's already happened. Uh, this was recorded before Ar- Armacon, but it's taken a little bit to get it out. Um, but uh, make sure you check out armor con for next year enjoy the episode playing a tabletop strategy game allows you to unplug and test your skills against friends Every week, Third Floor Wars delivers useful strategies, discussions, battle reports, and reviews to tabletop games like Malifaux. If you want to get better at the games you already play, or discover the games other people are playing, you are in the right place. Craig and Ray welcome you to the Third Floor and the Tabletop Talk Broadcast. Craig here on the third floor. Today we're going to do a deep dive into the Bayou Master Ophelia Lacroix and how the Kin Crew works in Malifaux 3rd Edition. Now my guest today is Jesse Ellis, and Jesse's a henchman out of the New England Conference. And Jesse's been a competitive wargamer for several years, um, as well as, most importantly, an award-winning home brewer. So I guess the first question, Jesse, is uh, why aren't we doing this on Brewery? Um, because I just listened to your brewery podcast yesterday morning and I played my first game with him yesterday, not or last evening rather. Oh, no kidding. How'd it go? <laughs> it went pretty well. Uh, aside yeah. from totally messing up a core mechanic of brewmaster, the game went great. Well, it, it can't be your first time running a keyword if you don't screw up a, a, a core, uh, mechanic. So, uh, but he seems, I tell you what, after, after, uh, you know, doing that episode um, with those guys, um, he, he seems like a really uh, effective but fun master. Yeah, he uh, he killed both of Vicks by himself, so uh, I guess he works pretty well. Yeah, the Vicks don't like being slow, so I can imagine that that wasn't fun. Oh, they didn't even get that far. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Um, so, Jesse, I, the first question I always like to ask a guest is um, kind of what brought you to Malifaux? So you can give us a little bit of history on you as a wargamer? Yeah, for sure. So I've actually, I mean, I've been playing war games for pretty much as long as I can remember. But believe it or not, my very first war game experience was when I was in probably sixth grade. Wow. I remember playing Battletech, the original Battletech. I remember that game. Yeah, still a huge fan of it myself. Don't get too many games in because we don't have much of, much of a community around here. But yeah, that was my... Uh, my intro into wargaming, and then I started playing 40k with uh, Tyranids uh, in uh, high school, uh, sophomore year of high school. So that would have been like 1996 or so. Um, moved on from there to playing Warhammer Fantasy, as so very many others did. Um, yeah. As uh, Skaven, 
and then later picked up Lizardmen. Uh, and then uh, when Fantasy died, you know, everybody kind of went their own separate ways. And a couple of years later, one of my friends told me, hey, you really like Mordheim, right? I was like, yeah, and I love Mordheim. It was a fantastic game. He said, I think I might have a game that you might like even more than Mordheim. And sure enough, that's how I got into Malifa. That's cool. So, I mean, out of the gate, Jesse, what was it, um, you know, being being introduced to it? was What was the hook? What what made you go, yeah, I, I think I'm going to invest in playing this game? Um, honestly, one of the things that I had disliked the most of most war games was, you know, you roll an initiative die, you take your turn, you use all your models, you wipe yeah. out half your opponent's army. Um, they have to try and respond. And all, a lot of times, especially in uh, the Games Workshop games, the game can pretty much be decided by the initiative on turn one. Yep. I didn't like that. I didn't like the fact that I had to sit there and watch my opponent roll a ton of dice. I got 96 attacks against you and uh, 45 of them wound. And now you have to take you know, all these armor saves. And I didn't even get to use my units most of the time. Once the the ones out, that you sp- you spent hours painting. <laughs> um, once I found out that uh, there was alternating activations in the game, that was the thing that really, really sold me on it. Um, and then the the you know the fate deck mechanic was pretty cool too because dice are a fickle fickle master, uh, as I'm yeah. sure many of our listeners can agree. And now, have you always played Bayou, Jesse, or uh, have you dabbled with other factions? Um, I very briefly bought into Arcanists, played like two games with Colette in second edition. Um, but other than that, it's been Bayou straight through. Uh, actually, own the whole faction, so I've dabbled in pretty much all the Masters except for Zoraida, so she's on the block. Very cool. All right, so we'll, let's focus on Ophelia, and what we're going to do is um, you know, kind of get a, a an overview um, and uh, talk about how the kin, grew, the kin crew comes together. And I want to understand, Jesse, how you, know, how you build a crew, how the crew plays, what are some of the key tech pieces that you bring in based off of whatever the strategy or scheme pool is. Um, and we'll even uh, force you to tell us uh, how to counter um, Ophelia and the kin. So for somebody who's never faced Ophelia or has never played Ophelia, um, what, can you give us kind of an overview on what kind of master she is? Sure. Um, so she is at her core a damage-dealing master that leads a primarily damage-dealing crew. Um, I would probably say that they are the most aggressive crew in uh, the faction uh, in terms of raw damage output and the ability to project that damage across the board. Um, She's also surprisingly tanky and defensive, um, much more so than I think a lot of people realize. So the, the, the hole that she fills in the faction is that of aggressive tanky damage deal. Gotcha. And, and is there something that really makes her unique? So, you know, most, most, uh, keywords and masters have kind of a, a key mechanic or a, a signature ability. Um, what, what is that for her? Um, her real key mechanic is that of her upgrades. Uh, just, uh, she has five, uh, what we call arsenal upgrades. Um, and her shtick is that she equips them. She cycles through them. She uses them for attacks, uh, damage reduction and a couple other neat little, uh, mechanics. Um, that's really what sets her apart from the rest of the, uh, the faction. And that's kind of a carryover from two, isn't it? it wasn't, didn't in two, she had a similar uh, mechanic. Yep. Uh, in two, she had a similar mechanic. She had fewer upgrades to choose from at that time. If I remember correctly, it's amazing how quickly those, uh, second ed memories start to fade. <laughs> <It is. laughs> 
Um, but yeah, so she had a similar mechanic in 2E and it has followed over to 3E. So can you kind of walk me through how that how that works? So how how do the upgrades get on? How do they come off? What, what are the effects? Sure. So all of her upgrades uh, are going to give her a new attack action, uh, each individual one. Um, they also all give her the ability to uh, blink. Uh, that she gains essentially a front of card ability from them. And it reads, uh, when this model suffers damage, it may discard this upgrade to reduce the damage suffered by one. Nice. Simple as that. Um, they, she also has an ability where if the upgrade is attached to Ophelia, because they can be attached to another model in the crew, um, then after resolving an attack action on this upgrade, this model may discard it to deal one damage to any model within a six-inch aura. Ooh, that's kind of interesting. So she's got a little bit of uh, of plank damage in 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 kind of a, a, a about a twelve inch bubble. It sounds like. Yeah, and uh, one key thing when it comes to making the crew really fire on all cylinders is that that one damage does not necessarily have to be to an enemy model, uh, which is going to come into play with one keyword model and a couple of out of keyword models that we might talk about later. Gotcha. And so, how does she get the upgrades on her? So she has uh, two bonus actions. One of them is called Arming Up. Attach an arsenal upgrade to this model. Easy peasy. Um, also, her totem, uh, Young LaCroix, which she actually gets three of, um, all have a bonus action. Look what I found. Two-inch range. Target this model or a friendly Ophelia LaCroix. Attach an arsenal upgrade to the target. And is there any limit to the number of upgrades she can have on her at one time? Uh, I mean, just like you can't actually start the game with them. Uh, you're not allowed to equip them when you uh, hire in. Um, just like any other hiring, she can start with an upgrade. So if I wanted to start her with one of the other faction upgrades, I certainly could. But there's no limit to the number of these that she can equip throughout the course of the game. And there are five total to choose from. So it sounds like, you know, based between the, her and the totem, you might have two of them uh, by the end of turn one. Uh, well, she actually gets three of those totems. Oh, wow. Okay, right. I didn't yeah. think about that. Yeah, it's a minion three. So she starts with three young LaCroix on the table. So the totems themselves are going to give her one apiece. Uh, and then she can give herself one. So Got if it. you end up putting all of them on Ophelia, then she'll have four of them by the end of turn one. I see. And so defensively, um, obviously, she can use those to reduce the damage. And what's nice is, you know, uh, other than irreducible damage, there's no way to get around that. Um, because, you know, things like precise and stuff that affect armor doesn't affect this. This is just reduced by one period. Um, is there anything else that she does to stay on the table? So if you just take a quick look at her card, she doesn't really seem that durable. Um, you really have to kind of look into the way that the abilities on the front of her card and the blink ability layer themselves, and then you get a true sense of, of her durability. So looking at her stats, she's just a defense and willpower five which is pretty poor for a master. Yep. I mean, she's got the 12 wounds like a typical master would. Um, as far as defensive abilities, then we then we get into the, the uh, keyword abilities that you're going to see across most of the models in the keyword. Um, the majority of them are going to have both. A couple of them will only have one of these. Uh, but the first one is called Flinch. Um, this one reads, when an enemy model targets this model with an attack action, if the target stat is higher than this model's resist stat, this model may gain shielded plus one. Nice. Now, bearing in mind, Ophelia only has a defense and willpower of five. 
So anything that's swinging on her with a six or better is going to be automatically giving her shielded. And it's important to remember that she gets that regardless of whether the opponent lands the attack or not. So right. just by declaring an attack against her with a higher stat, she's going to gain shielded plus one. Yeah. And, I, you know, when you think about what's going to come at a master, it's usually typically going to be another master or some sort of beater. So I would imagine that the majority of time you're picking up that shielded. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's very, very, very common. The second keyword ability that she gets is called the bigger they are, which you'll see on some other models. I think Monster Hunters and Guild have it, maybe a few other models here and there. And that's this model receives plus one to opposed duels with enemy models that have a size greater than this model. Now, I've not faced Ophelia yet, but I've seen that on other Bayou models I've faced, and that is extremely frustrating. Now, she's size one, unsurprisingly. Yeah. So what that means is that she's effectively defense and willpower six. Yep. But that plus one doesn't factor into her stats, so it doesn't affect her ability to gain shielding from flinch. Yeah, the, the tankiness is starting to, starting to become pretty apparent. So you figure, let's say somebody swings on Ophelia and it's a big beater. It's got a min five damage, uh, has crit strike or something like that crazy. Uh, normally min five is going to be enough to, you know, make pretty much any model shake in its pants. So model swings on her, hits for five. She's got shielded one, right? She's got plink, right? She's got stones. Yep. Right. So she gets hit for five. She stones. Let's say maybe we stone for two or three. That reduces the damage down to two, we'll say. She plinks to reduce the damage to one. She, she, she reduces her shielded to bring it down to zero. Yeah. The shielded can reduce to zero. So all of a sudden that min five attack is hitting her for nothing or maybe one. Yeah, no, that's good. And, um, you know, the ability for those uh, to have so many totems being able to uh, to add those uh upgrades to her that you know that m makes them somewhat disposable i would assume right you, you don't hesitate too much to discard that when need be yeah you really have to kind of read the game and figure out what you need her to do both this turn and next turn to mm -hmm. decide if it's going to be worth it to discard one of those uh upgrades because uh, that's kind of that's kind of one of her key mechanics is being able to manage your upgrades you'd think that you just want to throw them every time you could to reduce the damage but that isn't always the best choice and we'll kind of get to that maybe a little bit later got it got it so let's walk through um you know that we know what those upgrades are going to do defensively uh you mentioned that each of them have their own attack actions so should we walk through uh some of the offense that she gets through those upgrades sure so um the first upgrade that i'll read is going to be the firecracker flingshot um this one's pretty cool because it's an eight inch range uh stat six it has a tn of 12 this one actually drops a shockwave with a two-inch um, range, which is not super common. No. Um, the test on it is going to be a willpower 14, which is really high. That's high. Uh, and it gives out damage one and distracted one. Uh, and it has two triggers, one for cataclysm on a ram, which allows you to drop a second shockwave marker within range and line of sight. Which she can stone for. Which she can stone for, yep. And then on a crow, she gets burnt to a crisp. Scheme markers touching a shockwave marker or a pulse generated by the shockwave are removed. Oh boy, that's not, that's strong. Yeah. So the fact that she can throw those things to remove markers at range is sort of similar to the way that Perdita does it. It's yeah, not, right? it's not quite as efficient 
because she has to be a lot closer than Perdita can be to remove the markers, but the ability for her to remove multiple markers by dropping a single shockwave that can't be resisted by your opponent is really, really strong. No, that's good. That's good. Yeah, because the the uh, the test on the shockwave is only for the enemy models that are, you know, to, to trying to avoid the, the damage and distracted. Um, there's obviously no resisting for the scheme markers, so that's strong. Right. And the other thing to remember specifically about this upgrade is that all of her young LaCroix can also equip all of these upgrades to themselves. And they have a they have an ability on the front of their card that says that when they take an attack action from an attached arsenal upgrade, its stat is lowered by two. And then you have to discard the uh, upgrade after resolving the action. So, so for them, you need an eight instead of a for six. Them, for them, you need an eight, but their regular attack action is only a stat three. Right. Um, so it actually, they end up having a higher stat than their regular base because they are shooting the firecrackers at a stat four. So they still need an eight, but it's something that your totems can do, especially kind of mid to late game. Uh, and honestly, if you have that eight of crows, having your totem able to remove multiple scheme markers at, you know, eight plus another two inches, you know, uh, well, actually eight inches away plus the, you know, inch or so of the marker itself, plus another yep. two inches from that, that's pretty strong. Well, and not only that, but you're, by them doing it, it's it's worth paying the extra two off the uh, target number card for it not to be a master AP. Right, right. Yeah, that's good. And three of them can do it. Wow, that's good. Yeah. Um, and so, I, obviously, so the first thing that's coming to my mind, Jesse, is uh, killing... Well, the long young Lacroix is is something that I want to do. Um, are, are they are they pretty squishy? Does she have a way to bring them back? Or once they're dead, they're dead. <laughs> once they're dead, they're dead, and they are okay. extremely squishy. Yeah, um, that's definitely a good way to counter her, which we can kind of get to a little bit later. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's the first upgrade. Uh, the second upgrade is called Hooch Igniter. Uh, this one is going to have a range eight. It's a uh, has a gun symbol, so can't shoot into melee. It's got a stat six, and target suffers two blasts, so blast on the weak, three blast, four double blast, and wow. then models damaged by this action also gain burning one. On a tome trigger, they, she gets another uh, another ability that gives her um, friendly models damaged by this action and all non-burning conditions. Oh, okay, nice. Now, since you've got a blast on the weak on that one, and the weak is going to just do one damage uh, on the blast itself. She actually has some pretty good ranged condition removal. As long as you've got the tome, um, she can actually get that off on multiple models, which is pretty cool. Yeah, that is nice. So before we go to talk about the next upgrade, Jesse, I think we should talk about her core attack uh, real quick. So I, okay. I assume she's got a gun. She does. Um, she has a custom firearm. It's a range 12, stat 6, resist defense. Um, it on its own is not terribly impressive. It looks like, you know, basically your old henchman attack. So it's got a two weak, four moderate, and five severe. Uh, critical strike, not built in. Uh, she's got worthy opponent. So after resolving, draw a card. If the target was killed, discard a card. And then the big one is on a mask. She's got walking arsenal. Take an action printed on an arsenal upgrade. Attached, attached, oh, sorry. Uh, Prints out on an arsenal upgrade attached to this model, then either discard a card or that upgrade. Oh, wow. That's efficient. Nice. So one thing to remember about all these uh, upgrades, too, and her base attack is that because of bigger they are, 
in almost all circumstances, she's going to be stat seven for these. Right. Yep, that's good. That's good. All right. Um, so do we have any other Arsenal upgrades? We do. Uh, we've got three more. How about that? <laughs> all right, let's, let's do it. <laughs> um, so she's got cleanup duty. Uh, this one is a range 12, stat six. Uh, ignores line of sight. Pretty slick. Um, the target suffers one blast, one double blast, and two quadruple blasts. Yeah. And models damaged by this action gain injured one. That's big. And then on a crow, for each model damaged by this action, create a hazardous glass marker within one inch of that model. And it's just as what kind of ha- what, so it's just hazardous one for damage. Just just hazardous, so it just does one damage. Um, but you know, with a quadruple blast on the severe, chances yeah. are you're probably going to be hitting you know at least two or three models, um, and dropping mark dropping those markers in key locations so that your opponent has to walk over them or perform actions in them is a pretty big deal. Yeah, no, that's nice. Uh, next one up is going to be the trash cannon. Uh, now this one's important because it's enemy. This is important because this one's enemy only. You can't shoot your own models with it. But it's got a base range of eighteen inches. Whoa! Which I think is probably the longest ranged attack that I've seen in the game. Yeah, even Sony can't reach that far. Yeah. Uh, it has a damage track of one, two, four blast. Um, you drop a scrap marker into base contact with the target, and then it's got a critical strike trigger and a swift action trigger to take the action again. Nice. The only thing that's a little iffy about that one is you, you can't use it necessarily all the time. You really have to make sure that your opponent doesn't have a use for scrap markers. Like, you don't want to be yeah, pulling in strap markers into the middle of somebody's methane crew, not great. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. Um, or and, there, and there's, it's not just you know something like that, but there's a lot of model or a lot of crews out there that benefit from picking up markers, like Molly benefits from yeah. picking up markers. So yeah, being smart about that makes sense. And before we finish out on these, Jesse, I think kind of one of the key takeaways that I have already is, um, and now I understand your statement about you know you have to be smart about discarding, is you really have to plan either the rest of that turn or the turn coming up to really decide, you know, what am I going to use? What am I not going to use? What can I dispose of? Um, there, there's a lot, a lot of decision points there. That's one of the key things with her is if you just play her like a hammer and smash her into your opponent, yeah, you'll deal some damage, but you're not getting the amount of utility or flexibility out of her that you, uh, you really could be. That makes sense. All right. So for the last ones, last one, uh, this is tar bomb, uh, eight inch range. Uh, stat six. Uh, target suffers one one two damage and gains staggered. Now, if the target has the burning condition, it instead suffers three five six damage and gains Whoa. burning plus two. Yeah, yeah, three five six with burning plus two is pretty nasty. So you're obviously uh, pairing that with the other upgrades a big deal. Yep, and there are actually quite a few other ways in her keyword to hand out burning with other models too to set her up for the big damage. Uh, and then on a ram, you get flame wall. Uh, if the target has burning plus three or greater, you can make a 50 millimeter hazardous burning one pyre marker within one inch of the target. Nice. Cool. So that's all the upgrades. Well, it, you know, that speaks to a lot of flexibility, though, Jesse. I mean, each one of those um, are, are good in different situations. The ability to reach across the board at 18 inches is a big deal. Um, they have the ability to do just incredible damage once you've built up any burning on them. Um, the multiple blasts, if you've got a bubble crew that you're up against. Um, I, I could see her being not only a damage dealer, but a bit of a toolbox damage dealer, for for lack of a better term. Yeah, and uh, the other cool thing about some of those, like we've mentioned, is that 
a couple of them actually have abilities that you may end up using on your own crew yeah. um, to augment them, buff them, remove conditions, so on and so forth. The totems can pick up these upgrades and they can use them at a m- minus two. She obviously can pick them up. Is there anybody else that these upgrades are falling on? Just them. That's, That's cool. All right. Very cool. Um, how about any any way other than through the upgrade system on her totems? Is there anything she's doing really to support the rest of the crew? So something that about her that makes her crew better? Yeah, definitely. So she on front of her card, she's got a strike team, which is after this model ends its activation, another friendly kin model within a six-inch aura can discard a card to take an action. Oh, that's nice. Okay. Yeah, very, very flexible. Uh, there's a ton of stuff that you can do with it. Um, I mean, that's, it, it, again, one of those things you kind of have to be smart with. Like, you know, the first inclination might be to use that to just take a shot. Yeah. That's not always the best choice. You can use it to just take a walk so that you're in a better position for a charge, do an interact, um, use one of their other support abilities on your other models. There's quite a few things that you can do with that ability. And again, being able to use that effectively so you can set up that model's next activation is, is pretty key. Well, another thing, and I don't know if you found this, Jesse, but in three more than even in two, uh, being forced to discard a card to do anything, I think, is um, a, a bigger tax than you realize until you play it. Are you finding that with her that, you know, boy, you read that on the card and you go, yeah, I'll just, just discard a card and get, you know, another action off of somebody else. Um, but uh, in actual play, uh, that can be more of a challenge, or at least I, I found. How about with this crew? Oh, yeah, definitely. This That's something that you're going to see as we get through the rest of the crew is that it is very, very resource intensive. Yeah. Um, It can put out incredible damage, but it needs the cards and more importantly, it needs the suits to make that happen. Um, So discarding one card, most of the time won't be too big a deal, but then there are a few other abilities in the keyword that you might have to discard cards for. And that, that can become a little taxing. So you really have to plan out your resources. Yeah, yeah. You, you've got to allocate correctly. So yet again, another decision point. Um, so as much as she may initially come off as kind of a uh, straightforward hammer, it sounds to me like uh, to really get the most out of her, you're going to have to be able to do some decent resource management out of your hand, um, a- as well as know what, what upgrades to put on and when to get rid of them and who to put them on. Yeah, for sure. Um, as far as other support abilities, she does have two on the back of her card, which are pretty cool. Uh, so she's got Rebel Yell, which uh, quite a few other models do. Uh, that's just end all conditions on the target. The really nice thing about this one is that it's a stat six, which she can get bigger Bigger they are if she's using on and on an enemy. It has the built-in tome, and it's only got a TN of 10. So on a friendly, all she needs is a four of any suit. And if she's using on an enemy, then she's got a stat seven with the built-in suit. Yeah, and there's, there's enough crews out there where they're offensive... Um uh, condition removal is a big deal. Um, you know, whether it be the fire golem out of Arcanist, whether it be McMorning's crew, um, or Brewy for that matter. Um, there's more and more keywords that we're seeing and more models that we're seeing that are relying on conditions being on themselves in order to keep them alive. So that, that can be strong. And the fact that she's throwing that out at stat seven, that's, that's, that's good. The other one is going to be her tactical action. Um, this one's called with my eyes closed. Uh, it's a 5-inch pulse with a stat 7, TN of, of 12. Uh, models within range must pass a TN 14 defense duel or suffer 2 damage. Friendly kin models within range instead gain shielded plus 1. That's good. And then she's also got a reposition trigger on it with a mask. And was that was that a bonus action or was that a, a tactical? 
That's a tactical action. So you do have to be careful about spending her, um, yep. her actions on that. But I found that that's really, really effective, um, either very early in the turn to draw a bunch of cards out of my opponent's hand, because that TN14 defense tool is no joke. I mean, most of the time people are shooting for eights and nines to, to pass that. Yep. Um, and then being able to pulse out shielded at the start of the turn to uh, a bunch of models of mine is a pretty big deal. Or if I use it towards the end of the turn and my opponent has no cards left, there's a lot of damage potential there. Yeah, definitely. And I, I would imagine doing early in the turn is, is, is good if you've got a bunch of your people in, in, in the, in the pulse. But to your point, if you've already, you know, wasted their hand, um, the, the odds are not in their favor as far as flipping and making that. And two damage is two damage. Yeah. And I mean, it's a tactical. She can do it three times. Yeah. If she's in the mix and there's three or four enemy models around her, go for it. You know? Yeah, I, I, boy, that could be a really good early early activation for her. Have uh, one or two of her kin close and get them loaded up on shielded and then start draining the hand before they've really had a chance to activate those models. That's strong. Yeah, and then she can strike team right after it and make one of them charge. Yeah, that's good. All right, well, that gives us kind of a good idea um, uh, on her. And like I said, Jesse, I haven't faced her yet, so it's interesting to me, you know, because in two – the upgrade mechanic was a little gimmicky, I felt. Um, and she was, you know, pretty much a, a single rail uh, master to run. I like the fact that they kind of kept that core mechanic, um, made it uh, a little bit more choices that need to be made um, as far as handling those upgrades. And uh, boy, that toolbox aspect of her is strong. Yeah. Yeah, she's she's very, very complex, and that's something that we'll only build on as we talk about the rest of the keyword, too. That's great. All right, so what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick break, and when we get back from the break, I want to talk beyond just her and the totems. I want to talk a little bit more about how Jesse kind of builds his uh, kin crew. We'll start with models he takes in every crew, regardless of what the strat or the uh, opponent is. So we'll be right back. So she seems like a lot of fun, um, which I think thematically is something that I'm noticing about a lot of the Bayou Masters. We've done several of the uh, Bayou Deep Dives already. And uh, man, if uh, if I didn't have a full-time job and a podcast and a YouTube channel to keep going, I would love to start Bayou as well as all the other Masters. Um, and I've always had a bit of a soft spot for Ophelia because Perdita was my first Master in Malifaux. When I first started the game, the Latigo Posse was the first crew box I had. And then when I realized that uh, she was the mirror, uh, the one that envied um, and copied Perdita, um, it, it, uh, I thought it was cool, but it made me a little sad because you didn't see much of her in two. Uh, and based on just what Jesse has said so far, it sounds like we might see a little bit more of her coming into three. So Jesse, when you're, when you're building Ophelia and a kin crew, um, for most people, they have at least one or two models that always make it in. Now, obviously, the totems we've talked about, but outside of the totems, what are models that are just making the vast majority, if not every one of your affiliate crews? So the first one is going to be her right-hand man. That's Francois Lacroix. Um, he is an indispensable damage dealer and a huge threat on the table. I, I don't play without him. So let's talk about him. Well, yeah, let's talk about what what's his off. What why? I know how bad he was in two, <laughs> so I want to hear how he is in three. Well, don't worry, he's not swinging with a four six ten damage track. Okay, anymore, so good. Don't worry about that. Um, 
So him, you know, he's very similar to um, Ophelia, defensively speaking. He's defense willpower five. He's got flinch for the shielded. He's got bigger they are for the positives, uh, the plus one on the duel. Uh, he also has hard to kill, which is obviously fantastic. And then a big one is he has showdown. So he receives a positive to resist any attack actions if he can draw a line of sight to the attacking model and no sight lines are blocked. A uh, big one for that is that it does work in uh, melee. Oh, okay. Nice. The vast majority of the time, he's going to have a positive flip on his defense. Yeah. That's a what's, his de- what's his defense? His defense is five, and he's got okay. bigger they are, so that's really a six in most cases. Yeah. He's size one. How many uh, wounds? He is nine wounds. So that's good. good. Yep. Yep. Uh, and then the only other front of guard ability uh, that we haven't talked about is he has Flurry, which is going to play into his uh, his offensive abilities. Now, are you you do you prefer him in melee or at, at range? Um, he is capable at range, but he's definitely a bigger threat in melee. Gotcha. So let's talk about the damage he does up close. So he's got a one inch range uh, sword attack, which is a stat six most of the time, a seven because of bigger they are. Um, and it's got a built-in ram. It's got a uh, pretty minuscule damage track of two, three, four. But with the built-in crit strike, that really turns into three, four, five. Uh, and then if he gets the you know stones or flips the ram, now we're talking you know four, five, six, which is pretty yep. threatening. And then plus he has the flurry, so I mean he's he's got a lot of chances to swing at that high stat of seven. So Jesse, yeah, I have found with critical strike because I used to play guild, um, and I you know every time I saw a built-in ram um critical strike i always said okay so it's really yeah it's really min three um but it, it, on the table a model often will have other really good uh triggers that that pull down that pull you away from that critical strike is that true with him does he have other triggers that that uh really make you not take that built-in suit crit strike is his only trigger uh, that makes it real simple then doesn't it yep yep and with the built-in and then the high chance of being able to flip or stone, uh, he is very frequently going to be min four damage. Yep. He does have a ranged attack, as I've mentioned before. It's a it's a lower stat of five, so six most of the time, so still quite good. Uh, two, four, five damage track. Uh, it's got wild shot, which is something that you don't see really outside of Bayou very often, from what I've seen. Um, that's going to be when resolving, the target suffers plus one damage, so pretty much like a critical strike. And then you have to choose another friendly model within range and line of sight of my model to suffer one damage. Yeah, Seamus' totem copycat killer has that. Cool. And then on a mask, he also has frantic attack where he can suffer a damage to take the action again. Oh, that's good. So he's no slouch in, at range. I mean, stat six with those triggers is, uh, or stat five plus one with those triggers is pretty darn good. Yeah, that's nice. And um, we know about the positives on defense. We've, he's got nine wounds. Um, he's got the front of the card abilities that are boosting his stats. Um, and he's a henchman. So he's got stones. I would imagine he's, uh, even though he's up close, he's he's probably making it to turn three or four at the least, right? Yeah, he, he very rarely dies. Um, with those high stats, um, plus the positive flip, uh, defense, uh, and healing, he, he sticks around usually for most of the game. That's nice. Yeah, I can see him as an auto-take. Anybody else you're bringing in? Um, actually, one quick thing on Francois before we get away from him is he actually has an ability called Gremlin Menace, which is a really strong ability to use off Ophelia's strike team, uh, which is a six-inch range, stat five, plus one from you know, bigger they are, resist yep. willpower, 
target gains adversary kin and push this model six inches towards the target. So Ophelia could do her action, get Francis to do that, put adversary on the on the target, and then Ophelia's got two more attacks against him. Well, you have to. That's another decision point for the crew. Actually, is that you can only use strike team at the end of Ophelia's activation. So you got have it. to decide if you're going to go with Ophelia first, then use strike team to put up adversary, or mm-hmm. if you want to go with Francois first and give your opponent to respond before you start shooting with. God, I, I, you know, you met, you said it, and it didn't register with me that that's that. Um, it doesn't minimize it; it makes it more reasonable <laughs> that that's the end of her activation because that little combo that we just talked about sounded really nasty. Um, but again, another decision point, right? Mm-hmm. So that's Francois in a nutshell. Um, the next key model that I'm going to take is another damage dealer. Not surprising; this is a damage dealing crew, and that's going to be Raphael Lacroix. Uh, he's an 8-stone enforcer, so can't use stones or anything like that. He has flinch, bigger they are, um, hard to kill. The two big abilities that we haven't talked about on the front of his card are he has grit frantic. So when he's at half of his maximum health or less, his attack actions receive positive to their duels and damage flips. Oh, that's so good. Uh, he also has agile, so he can leave the engagement range of enemy models with a walk action. And I assume being a ranged threat, uh, that's extremely useful. Yeah, definitely. Um, his uh, defenses are, you know, moderate. He's still a defense five with bigger they are. So most of the time he's on a defense six. Um, so that plus the shield that, again, gives you another model that is difficult to put down. Uh, plus, he has, as I mentioned before, hard to kill. Yeah, it's got, it's got a really neat fluffy feel to it. Because um, you, you always think of, a, of them as, again, being the... The, the copycats of the Latigos and they're envious of them and stuff. And the fact that, uh, that they're boosted when they're beat uh, with a better stat, I, th- I just think that's great. Yeah. And, you know, speaking from a fluff perspective, I really think that the kin have the fluffiest and coolest kind of keyword in all of Bayou. I- that's just, that says a lot because it's a, it's a fluffy, it's a fluffy faction. Yeah, and I, their theme is just so cool, and they yeah. work together so well. I love it. Everything you're saying sounds fun. So, so at any rate, with Raphael, um, he has his primary attack is, is going to be his gun. Uh, it's a it's called Long Carbine. Uh, big one is it's a 14 inch range. That's good. Stat five plus one most of the time. Um, it, it it already ignores concealment, which is so huge. Um, and then it has a damage track of 245, pretty typical. Um, it has crit strike, and it has maim on a crow to make my opponent discard a card. Okay. So a lot of times you're saving your high rams for him because that 14-inch range with potentially a positive damage flip and a crit strike is uh, pretty scary stuff. Yeah. And uh, how, how, re- how resilient is he? Uh, I mean, so like I said, he's got the defense five, he's got flinch, he's got bigger they are, and he's got hard to kill. So he's he's pretty tough to kill. Yeah, I didn't realize he had hard to kill. That's big. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then if he does end up getting into melee, you know, it used to be in 2e that he was basically worthless in melee. He couldn't yep. do anything. He actually has a really powerful melee attack if he does end up getting stuck in. So it's a 2-3-5 damage track with wild shot. So he can... he's basically hitting your opponent with the butt of his gun, and then it goes off and hits somebody else. That's fun. It's <laughs> pretty funny. Um, so plus one damage. So two, three, five plus one is pretty good. It's got an onslaught trigger on a mask, 
and it's got a daze trigger on a crow, which is target gains stunned and is pushed three inches in any direction. I'm starting to get a sense of there's there's a good, a good little bit of debuffing, like side effect debuffing happening in this crew. Yeah, definitely. Um, he also has Terrorize, which is a good tech pick. It's another one of those decision points we were talking about. It's a range 8, stat 6, resist willpower, enemy only. Target has pushed its move in inches away from this model. So if you've got a big scary beater coming in on you or something that you just need to keep away from a, a, you know, a point where they're going to gain a uh, you know, score, um, yep. being able to do that at essentially a stat 7 in most cases is, is pretty darn good. Yeah, and I've said it several times on the show, um, those offensive abilities that can move opponents' models are huge. And it's not just for what you're talking about, Jesse, which is big, which is the ability to you know fend off um, a potential threat and, and screw up either their charge vectors or even their charge distance. The other part of that is, is that if you go through the, uh, e- e- the strats, but especially the schemes, where the model is matters so much for scoring. And your ability to to impact that is is huge, and it's one of those things that reads good and plays great. Yeah, especially at a high stat with no target number. That's yep, pretty big. And then speaking to his defensive abilities, he also has shrug off, so he can discard a card to end a condition on him if somebody manages to tag him with something really nasty. Very nice. Um, another key model that I'm going to take is. In almost every game, unless the terrain really, really doesn't favor using him, I'm going to take Rami Lacroix, which is the sniper of the crew. Okay. Um, he's only stat six, or he's only cost six rather, which is pretty darn cheap for a sniper. Um, he's got moderate defenses, defense four, willpower five. He still has, you know, flinch and bigger they are. Um, he does have the sniper front of card ability where he can drop the value of his focus condition by one to give the action a plus 10 inch range. Um, his base attack is a 14 inch range, so he's got a 24 inch shot. Oh, that's gross. Um, and he has advanced sights, so this model's attack actions ignore concealment and friendly fire. Uh, incidentally, Ophelia also ignores friendly fire. That's something I forgot to mention there, so that's a big deal. Well, and if I remember correctly with Ophelia too, um, she's got gunfighter, right? Yeah, yeah, I don't think we'd mention that, but yeah, so she can use all of her ranged attacks in melee. Um, before we head there, Jesse, you mentioned the train and the train being a factor of whether you bring him in or not. Is that just, you know, if it's, it's, it's packed full of a bunch of blocking terrain, you're not going to get sight lines or is, is there another aspect that of the train that would make you not, not bring him or choose to bring him? Um, a, a lot of time it's honestly just going to be, if there's a lot of blocking or dense terrain where I, I want to be able to project threat with him on turn one. Right. Um, not necessarily because I'm expecting him to do a ton of damage. Cause if I have to drop my focus, to get the plus 10 inch range, he's not then going to have focus for the attack. He won't gain the positive to the attack and damage uh, unless I have another means of getting focus two on him, which there are some, but at any rate, um, I want to be able to pressure my opponent to make, to force them to make bad decisions and rush into melee. I I want to use him and potentially Ophelia's 18 inch trash cannon to put that kind of pressure on them so that they spend a lot of their AP walking to me. And then my crew can spend their AP shooting them to pieces. Yep. Yep. Um, people tend to panic when there's a sniper across the table and it honestly, it plays kind of a psychological game with them where they start making bad decisions with their moves. Um, I found that happens more often than I think a lot of my opponents would expect. Yeah. The range threat on, on a lot of snipers, um, you're hundred percent right, Jesse, the range threat on that, if it, 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 it,
I'm trying to think the best way to put it. You you overestimate their impact because they can reach you. Um, so I, I complete as a good way to put it, Jesse is is psychologically. It, it does more damage than it actually does damage. And, um, you know, if I'm, if I'm moving to try to make sure that I'm in concealed concealment or I'm, you know, make sure I'm, you know, trying to get cover and things like that, I'm reducing my, my move efficiency. Um, so yeah, I completely agree. And speaking of concealment and cover. Um, so as I mentioned before, his attack actions ignore concealment and friendly fire. And then on his clockwork rifle, he also ignores cover. That's nice. So he ignores everything. Yep. So a lot of times my opponent isn't even so much concerned about getting into concealment or cover. They're just trying to get as close to me as they possibly can, which is great for me. So when you think about um, bringing him in or not, you mentioned, you know, obviously the terrain. Um, are you worried about fast cruise as well? Or does he do, still do his job even if the cruise fast as hell that you're up against? He does his job pretty well because he's usually going to be behind the rest of my crew, at least by a model or two. So they can kind of screen him so that he can still do his job. Um, another big reason I take him is that he actually has two different triggers that allow him to ignore armor, which I believe are my only way to ignore armor in this crew. And that's a weakness in Bayou in general, so that's big. Yeah, so I mean, his, his gun is 14-inch range, stat 5 plus the 1, so really stat 6. Um, he's 235 damage track. He's got critical strike on a ram. He's got armor piercing on a tome. He's got swift action to take the action again on a mask. And then probably his most devastating trigger is on a crow. He's got no witnesses. Um, you don't see this one too often, but this is, uh, so this trigger can only be declared if no other enemy model other than the target is within 12 inches in line of sight. Okay. But, yeah. When resolving the model, the target suffers plus one damage and the damage from this action ignores armor. Interesting. Interesting. So this guy is six stones. Yeah. Yeah. That's good for six stones, man. And then he also has a bonus action to just push out a melee. Yeah. So that's you can't good. Tie him down just by walking next to him. That's good. Who's running schemes for a kin crew? Uh, usually it's going to be Maris, uh, LaCroix. She's a really good option. Um, she she's pretty cool because she's got flight. Um, she's a move six, so not enormously high move, but flight's pretty strong. Um, she's got sputtering exhaust, so within a two inch aura, any any uh, models are going to have concealment. So between her flinch, her bigger they are, and her concealment, again, she's relatively difficult to kill, even though she's only got six wounds. Yeah, she's a strong model. Um, at Nova, I faced. Uh Faced Zip twice uh, and saw her, um, and she's she's a high value for her stones. Yeah, um, the big things are that she's got so she's got up we go, which is a similar attack to Zip. So basically, without going into all the details, she can um, attack an enemy model uh, versus their size, pick them up, deal some damage, and reposition them, uh, which is great for getting people off of the ability to score, dropping them into severe terrain, um, blocking charge lanes, that kind of thing. Um, she also has a flaming bottle attack, which is a shockwave with a move 12 resist, uh, does damage one and burning one. So she can actually help set up the burning for Ophelia's tar bomb attack, the one that does the three, five, six damage. Yep. Um, and then it has a trigger to add extra burning. Um, the thing that makes her such a consummate schemer, schemer though, is her bonus action. And that's bombs away. So this is a stat five, target number 10. Uh, reads discard up to three cards, 
this action drops an additional number of shockwave markers equal to the number of cards discarded in this way. The shockwaves are a shockwave 2, so 2 inches, move 13 dual, and the damage is X, whereas X is the number of cards discarded by this action plus 1. So if you've got a bunch of junky cards in your hand, if you're sitting on yep. a bunch of weeks, you can just move her up, you can discard three cards, you're going to drop four shockwave markers that are doing three damage apiece. Yeah, that, that that's huge. But it also is in competition with the other discards that we've talked about. Um, but that's a big deal, especially to at be, that range. And to be honest, I've never discarded more than one card with that ability. Yeah. Yeah. Because the reason you use it is for the trigger, which is on a tome. It's not built in. So this is another one of those resource management tools. You're going to hold on to every five or better of tomes that you have if you're playing Maris. And the way this trigger reads is, after resolving the dropping shockwave markers, choose one drop shockwave marker, drop a scheme marker into base contact with the shockwave, and then remove the shockwave. Yeah, and that, that gets you around the four-inch restriction, makes things like harness the ley line and stuff a lot easier. Yep. And because she can project the initial shockwave marker five inches, and then she can put the scheme marker on the up, on the far edge of that shockwave marker, she can really put a scheme marker up to six inches away, ignoring all restrictions, which That's simplifies good. so many schemes. Yep. Yep. Yeah. When you go when you go through and look at the scheme pool and just lift that restriction, and we're only talking about a five atomes or better, um, I could see you, you know, saving you know a high moderate or even a severe uh to pull that off if it's going to score your points obviously yeah i've, I've pitched home face cards before just to score yeah. points with that ability because it's so strong no that's smart um any other kin models yeah uh the, on the only other one that i take super routinely is going to be the lacroix raider he's a new model um actually the value book just they sent out the digital pdf for it like yesterday so now we actually have official rules for this model um it's a great all-around model, but I do use them for scheming pretty often. Uh, it's only a five cost. It's uh, actually the only minion in the keyword. Everything else in the keyword, aside from the totems, is an enforcer or henchman. You know, I didn't realize that. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. um, so it's got uh, defense willpower four, so pretty low, but it does have flinch, and it has bigger they are. So really fives, and he's got the shield and trick. Um, you know, move five. Uh, he has gunfighter, so he can shoot in melee. Uh, the big one is that he has unimpeded. Uh, it's the only model in the keyword with unimpeded, you know, aside from Maris with flight. Um, and then the the thing with him that makes him a decent schemer is that he has the unimpeded. So, and he also has a bonus action called risky maneuver. So uh, he can suffer a damage, gain focus one, and push three inches in any direction, mm -hmm. which is going to allow him to get out of melee even if he's in severe terrain, um, and then just walk off and scheme. Nice. Uh, and then frequently I'll take an upgrade on him uh, called 12 Cups of Coffee. Oh, I hate, I gotta hate that upgrade so much. For those people that don't know what 12 Cups of Coffee are, can you can you walk him through it? This stuff is so yeah, broken, sure. Jesse. This is a problem, but go ahead. <laughs> so uh, 12 Cups of Coffee is uh, one of the three upgrades in Gremlins. So it's going to give him diversion. So enemy models within a four-inch aura can't declare bonus actions. Uh, it's going to get him. Oh, hold on! I'm going to stop you right there. So that alone is fantastic, right? Fantastic. So, so if you said that's the only thing that twelve cups of coffee does, and it's two stones, you'd be like, "Yeah, that's pretty good." But, but let's continue the other benefits yeah. you get. 
for anybody that has played Seamus, they know oh. that if you shut down his leader only bonus action, don't get me started. Uh, yeah, he's going to be pretty frustrated. Yeah. So anyway, uh, it also gives a bonus action mark territory, uh, which is a three inch pulse, needs a four to go off. Remove all scheme markers within range, and this model gains focus one for each scheme marker removed in this way. So a three inch pulse to remove markers on a bonus action is enormous, and then the focus is just icing on the cake. Um, the big one is the minion <laughs> ability on this one, which is called Twitchy. Uh, after another model ends its activation, this mo- and this model is unengaged, it can move up to one inch. So in a typical game, you're going to have, you know, usually seven to nine models per team, per crew. Um, he's usually going to be getting eh, about 15 inches of movement before yeah. he even has to activate. And since he's unimpeded, you can just push him right through forests and other severe terrain and, and not lose anything. It's so dumb. Like, <laughs> uh, I don't know. It, 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 um, so here's the thing about 12 Cups Coffee. First time I came across it, I, I literally had the, I, I had to ask the guy to show me the card because it, sem- it, feel like, it felt like every f- like two activations, you'd say, well, I've got 12 cups of coffee so I can do this. I'm like, well, good Lord, what's on that card? And um, it's really good. The, the big thing to remember about all those pushes is the, is the engagement restriction. Um, so that helps kind of put that thing under control. The problem is, is that when you're engaged, you've got the other part of the car that's screwing you up too. Um, I mean, I don't know. 12 cups of coffee is like Arcanist good. Yeah, it's, it's pretty darn good. That's for sure. Um, one interesting thing on hi- on this particular model is that it actually already has two bonus actions. So adding the third bonus action for Mark Territory, it does add some competition for that bonus yep. action slot, and it adds another one of those decision points. So we already talked about Risky Maneuver. Um, his other bonus action is a utility piece for the crew, and that's that if the opposing crew has more cards in its hand than this model's crew, draw a card. Nice. Three card draw, never bad. Well, and I, I see why you would bring him on bring it on uh, this model though, Jesse, because that unimpeded makes those pushes so much more effective. Yeah. And the ability to push out a melee means that even though he's only going to move five, I'm augmenting it immensely with the 12 yep. cups of coffee. And then I can push it, push out a melee if somebody tags him and I can still scheme and, and do what I need to do. Yeah, he's a legit target for that upgrade. Definitely. Um, how about, uh, you know, Bayou's got some pretty decent versatile models. Is there any versatile models that you look to uh, when you're playing Ken? Yeah, definitely. So one thing I found that kin really need to turn to turn their ability to survive and deal damage up to eleven is some sort of a healer. Um, there are basically three healers in Bayou, and all of them are versatile. Um, Lightning Bug is not particularly good in my opinion, it, um, so I'm not going to go into that too much. Uh, Spit Hog is the one that uh, Summer just got in his crew. Um, I had been using it for a while, but Honestly, I've moved on to Gatro Bokors as my healer of choice. Yeah. Um, the the Gatro Bokors are really cool because they allow me to project the healing uh, pretty far, which is something that the Spithogs can't really do. The Spithogs really have to be within melee of the target that they're healing, and then that makes them a big target. The Bokors are, have a pretty typical heal with an 8-inch range. Uh, one, two, three, uh, flip on a tome, they can pulse... Uh, two to heal any models uh, within that range by one. And then on a crow, they can discard a card to drop two cards, which is enormous. 
Yeah, they're good. I've seen them a couple times. And um, when protected well, which be, you have so many bodies in a bayou uh, crew, it's not that hard to do. Um, th- they are very effective. And the ability to extend that heel out is um, is no joke. Yeah. They need a seven for it to go off. So it's certainly not free by any means. That's another one of those resource drains you have to worry about. Yep. Um, but there's some other synergy with the crew in that they have a bonus action with a three inch pulse to hand out friendly models shielded one. And all my models are gaining shielded whenever you attack me anyway. And Ophelia can hand out shielded. So you really start to approach this point where you're going to have a tough time dealing any damage, even ping damage to them. Um, a big one I found on that is like black blood, poison, burning. Yep. I mean, they can burn shielded for all that stuff. Well, and here's the thing too, and I was thinking about this, so I, I'm not surprised that you would talk healers because you, we talked about uh, what two or three models there that had hard to kill, and hard to kill is a great ability, but it's really great if you got healing, um, so that you can get them above that one when they get there. So I'm not surprised that you're pulling that in, and it, like I said, I've I, I've only played Bayou a few times, but I've seen that model several times when I played Bayou, and, and it's pretty obvious why. Yeah, the other two things that really add some cool synergy with this crew are that um, one of them is uh, it has big voodoo. Um, so after the opposing model discards a pass token to skip an activation, this model may choose one friendly whizbang or swamp fiend model within a three inch aura to gain focus one. Now, usually this is the only whizbang or swamp fiend that you're going to have in your crew. So usually it's just giving itself focus one. Yeah. Uh, but because Ophelia has three totems, most of the time she's going to be at 10 or even 11 activations. So your opponent is definitely going to have pass tokens to use. Um, and the focused one is big when we get to the next ability that the Vokor has, which is Obey. So it has a typical Obey. You know, stat 5 uh, needs a 14 to go off. So a pretty high card, a 9. And it does need the mask, which is not built in. Now, one of the key things with the Vokor is that it has the Whizbang keyword ability called Hard Knock Life. After this model suffers damage caused by another friendly model, it may gain fast and a glowy token. The glowy token allows you, after flipping or cheating your card in a duel, to discard a glowy token to add a suit of your choice to the final duel total. Yeah, it. Th- th- this is a big part of why that model's so strong, Jesse. Because and and you have to see it on the table to really piece this together. So, in Rezzer, especially my Molly crew, I usually run one or two healers. Um. Uh, for a lot of the same reasons you're talking about doing it here. Um, but the challenge can be sometimes is getting the most out of those models when they're not healing. Um, and now there's some healers out there that, um, you know, have some good benefits and healing, you know, as part of it. But what, what is key here for this model is the target number on that obey is, is reasonable. So when you don't need the heal, you can really really get a lot of value out of this model um, by passing its actions to somebody else. And the other cool thing is it's extremely easy for you to get glowy tokens on this model um, in this particular crew. The big one is you can get them on there with Ophelia turn one easily, especially if you're, if you don't have to worry about your opponent needing those scrap markers on trash cannon, because Ophelia can shoot a model in the enemy's crew with trash cannon, project some range threat at 18 inches, and then she can discard the trash cannon to deal one damage to the Vokor. Right. So I'm dealing a damage to it, giving it fast and the glowy token without ever having to spend an AP. I can also use the young LaCroix, who have a really terrible ranged attack. It's like a stat three with like a... I'll look at it. 
I think it's like a one, two, three damage track or something terrible like that. Let's see here. Yeah, one, two, four damage track. But I'm using an AP off of one of my totems, which may not have a use otherwise to then give yep. my bow core fast on a bow totem. No, that's good. That's good. So uh, other than healing, are you pulling out of keyword or versatile models in? Usually if I'm pulling out of keyword or versatile, it's going to be for a very specific reason. Right. Um, the only other keyword model that's a very situational hire, and I won't get into all the details on her, but it's going to be Sammy LaCroix. Um, she's really more of a Wong model now. She, she has some keyword synergy with Kin. Um, the big thing on her is that if, uh, if a friendly Kin or Whizbang model, so that's going to be Gatrobo Core or basically any of the rest of my crew, suffers damage during a friendly uh, activation, I can draw a card. Mm-hmm. So hanging my bow core to give it fast and glowy, I can also draw a card off of it. It's not the reason I hire her, but it's a nice bonus. Um, the reason that I would hire her is that she has Putrefy, uh, which is her bonus action. Um, I target an enemy scheme marker. It's got a stat 6, needs an 8 to go off, uh, and it needs a crow, which is not built in. But again, she has the wonky word ability where I can ping her to give her fast and glowy token. So she can yep. get it built in. And that I summon a stuffed or flying piglet into base contact with the target scheme marker and then remove it. Nice. So I'm usually taking her if I'm really worried about my opponent taking a scheme marker. Um, you know, a, a, a scheme marker uh, re- re- required scheme, such as like search the ruins or something that they're going to have to project scheme markers usually onto my side of the board or about the center of the board. Um, scheme marker removal at range is already super strong and turning yep. them into a model is incredibly strong. No, that's huge. And, and you also have to remember too, um, for those listening, there's also uh, keywords out there that are are generating a ton of scheme markers, right? So you've got Parker that's doing it. You've got Colette that's doing it. So um, it's not just to stop the scoring, but it's also a situation where you could be generating a ton of models just based off of the crew you're facing. Yeah, definitely. That's nice. Uh, yeah. As far as other uh, out-of-keyword models, if I do need to, to accomplish a specific scheme, um, usually the choices to do that are going to be the first mate, which I know we've talked about before. He's just a great, you know, all-rounder. He's got the leap. He's got a really damaging attack. He can pick up enemy scheme markers with a bonus action. He's extremely difficult to kill because of butterfly jump and stealth. Um, he's just a great all-round model. And even at 10 stones, I think we're probably going to see him a lot in the faction. Yeah, I agree. Um, another out-of-keyword hire is going to be Trixie Bell. Um, big one with her is that she's going to give me a bonus to my initiative flips, which is important because my opponents are frequently going to have a lot of pass tokens because of the size of my crew. So it helps to mitigate that. Um, and then she has, she's, I think one of the only models in the faction that has don't mind me, which I'll take for specific schemes. Like if, you know, if I'm trying to do detonate the charges because I want to make life hard on myself, um, or because (laughs) it's just, or because the, the scheme pool is just not that great. Um, she is one of the ways to get that done consistently between her having don't mind me and Maris being able to drop markers at range, ignoring restrictions. It's actually pretty easy to score and detonate the charges with, with the combination of those two models. Well, and dig too, right? Dig the grapes. Yeah. And that's another one that is very good for this crew. And Trixie is quite good at making that happen. Uh, she also has a lore, which works with this crew because it can help me pull enemy models into position or out of cover for me to shoot at them. Um, and then she's got a couple other cool abilities that can let me like take additional attacks in melee when I swing with her. Kind of 
she's just a really good situational hire. Now, with the synergies um, that we've talked about uh, among those versatile models, how those versatile models aren't just versatile, but they share keywords with other masters. Are you hiring second masters into a kin, a kin crew? Um, sometimes I'll take Zip. I've only done it once, to be perfectly honest. Um, I find that because Ophelia is so tanky and does so much damage, as does the rest of her crew, the only thing that I really need to hire into it is something that's going to give me some additional utility. Yeah. Um, I could certainly hire Zoraida. I haven't done it. Um, but I mean, just based on how strong she is, she's going to be a good secondary hire for pretty much anybody. Um, Zip is somebody that I would hire as a denial master if I'm really worried about my opponent having some super fast models that are just too hard for my guys to catch. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to be honest, I really don't consider it that much in this crew. I feel like it's relatively self-sufficient with maybe one or two out of keyword or versatile hires. And how much are how much are Ophelia's totems again? The the uh, young Lacroix. Um, cost on those is one, and she's going to get three of them. So if I hire her into another crew, I can pay you know maybe like one or two stones to get you know one or two of them to give her the upgrade she needs. Yeah, that's where I was headed. Is because I, I would think I would think she's a decent second master. Um, depending on, uh, how much of an offensive threat you would need from distance, but it would be hard for me not to hire her and not bring in at least one of those totems. Yeah. That's the thing. I, I know I've heard some people say that, that she's a pretty strong second master. Frankly, I don't feel like she is because, because she is so suit dependent Yeah, on her attacks. Like if you don't get the right suits, her attacks are dealing, you know, two, four, five, which is no better than the average henchman or enforcer. Um, and she really needs those totems to fire her up. And if you don't have them, I'd rather just take Ma or somebody else if I'm trying to deal damage. Frankly, I could just take two enforcers and probably do more damage than she can. Yeah, I agree. And it's one thing that's that's actually uh, good advice for the listeners. Be very careful when you're hiring thirsty masters. Um, So you can see somebody, like Jesse said, you know, a lot of people are talking about Ophelia as a second master, but when they're card thirsty, it it makes it tough. so, for example, in, in Rezzers, what's great about Seamus is Seamus doesn't need suits, right? It's just Seamus just needs good cards, and he and he and he's and he's good, so he doesn't ask much. Um, another uh, master that's like that is Parker out of Outcasts. He he does his job, and he doesn't he doesn't have a, a high resource requirement, um, and I think that's what makes for a good second master. And as thirsty as uh, as Ophelia sounds, I, I, I'm not surprised that you don't see her as a second master, Jesse. Yeah, I mean, just speaking to her as being a resource-intensive master, we didn't really, it's tough to really put into perspective how many attacks she can get until you just bring it down to, you know, brass tacks. Yeah. With her, you can conceivably get eight attacks out of one activation. Because she can take three AP to take her own shots. She can take her walking arsenal trigger three times to take shots off of her attached upgrades. She has a bonus action, which we didn't even talk about, to take a shot uh, with a six-inch range, her sidearm. And she can use strike team to discard a card and make another friendly take an action. So that's eight attacks. If you do that, you're not going to have a hand left. Right, exactly. So it, it's a perfect example of what we've been talking about, right? So you, you you look at that, you look at the card, Jesse, and you go, holy crap. And I theory craft this out. And I'm like, I'm going to get eight attacks out of her. But I'm glad you mentioned what you just said, Jesse, which is that's it, right? You shot your wad at that point. And yeah, you may have gotten, you know, 
six, seven, eight uh, uh, active uh, actions out of her, but you're done. And either it's the end of the turn and you didn't use cards at the beginning or you've activated her first, blew your rod, and you just got to hope to God that the, the rest of the crew survives. And, and playing into that, I'd, I'd like to talk about the next um, versatile model that I, I really like to hire a lot. I didn't start doing it until the last couple of games that I played with her, and I wish that I had been hiring it from Jump. Uh, and that's the Lucky Effigy. The Lucky Effigy is, you know, like all the other effigies, it has Accomplice, which is great because it can use its bonus action and then Accomplice straight into Ophelia at the start of the turn. Um, the thing that really makes it shine is that its bonus action is called Aura of Luck. The three-inch aura, stat five, needs a five to go off. Until the end phrase, friendly models within range may cheat with the fate with the top card of their fate deck. So good. So you use him first, put him within three-inch range of Ophelia and maybe another model with a strong ranged attack, or any attack, really. Uh, Raphael's a good example. Rami's a good example. Um accomplice into Ophelia, now she's taking her, you know, somewhere between three and eight attacks, essentially, and she can cheat off the top of the fate deck. So it really mitigates a lot of the hand pressure, and it makes your opponent have to think really hard about what kind of card he's going to cheat, because you could easily just flip a card off the top and beat him with no yeah. restraint to yourself. No, that's 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 really good. Um, the, the other thing that I like to do with the Lucky Effigy, because usually I find after turn two or so, um, you don't need quite as much resource in terms, and you're really focused more on taking care of your schemes because you've neutralized most of your opponent's beaters. Now you're trying to chase down scheme runners. You're trying to scheme yourself. So I really like taking the Effigy of Fate upgrade on the Lucky Effigy. So that at the top of turn three, I can turn him into the Lucky Emissary. Um, the reason that I like the Lucky Emissary uh, <laughs> is that once I flip him, I can use him either as a beater or a schemer. And he's got an absolutely, unbelievably fast um, movement. Yeah, he's he's a he's really good, and I'm shocked that more pe more Bayou players aren't using him because now, granted, I I don't play Bayou, so it's really easy for me to say, but that is a card that I read, and I'm like, this guy is bonkers. Yeah, so I think that's the best advice I can give to Bayou players out there is just try the lucky emissary, just hire it, give it a yeah. shot, until you actually see what kind of havoc it can wreak on the table. Just looking at its card, it doesn't seem even nearly as impressive as it really is. I'll take the Lucky Effigy. He sits in the back of my bubble, you know, for two turns, gives me Bite Wolf. Buy you two card, cheating off the top of the Fate deck. Then he turns into the Emissary. Now you'd think, well, now he's stuck behind a bunch of models. He's stuck behind terrain. <laughs> he can't get out. Like, what are you going to do with him? You get this big 50 mil model in the middle of your crew, and it's a melee beater. Well, he has Unimpeded. Um, he has Tramble, so he can move over other models, not just friendlies, but any model. And he has Make Way, so after resolving an action in which this model moved through one or more models, they have to pass a TM13 move duel or suffer two damage. He's got a base move of eight on a 50 mil model that can move through other models, so that's all, and has unimpeded, so that's already incredibly fast. He's got a great attack, three, four, five damage. He has armor piercing, again, one of the few ways to get it in the, the faction. Another trigger called Bold Over, which allows you to push the model and get even more movement out of your uh, emissary. And then his big one is he's got Steamroller. So he needs a four for this to go off. It's a stat six TN10. 
push this model 12 inches in any direction. And then if this push is interrupted by destructible terrain, that terrain is removed and the push continues. So you can just bowl over ice pillars. You can bowl over piano markers, just knock the stuff out of the way. He does stop if he bumps into impassable terrain. Uh, and if he does get stopped that way, he suffers two damage. You remove every marker that this model came into base contact with during the push. So that's scheme markers, scrap markers, uh, corpse markers, anything. Um, and just the fact that he can get a 12 inch move that's unimpeded so he can just charge right through forests and stuff and over enemies means that once he flips, if I need to get him into my opponent's deployment zone, it's two AP and he's there in most cases. So when you use the phrase wreak havoc, I think it was perfect, Jesse, because that's exactly what this model does. What I like about him is, you know, whenever you've got a 10 stone model out there, you, you, you really have two choices as the opponent. Either I'm going to put a lot of resources in getting rid of this model or I'm going to ignore it. And a lot of times with some models, like if you ignore my, if if you ignore my Archie and just can't stay away from him, he's fast enough to, to, to create problems, right? So I'm fine whether you ignore him or try to go in on him because, you know, he can, he can handle himself. The effigies or the, uh, uh, not the effigy, the uh, emissary is the same way. If if we ignore the lucky emissary, he's just going to go off and scheme because he's fast as hell and just, just wreak havoc by scoring points. And otherwise, he's going to be in the middle of the crew and he's just going to be causing a problem the whole time. And the fact that you have the flexibility as the person who's running that model, that that that's ideal, is that you're not you're not afraid of either choice from the opponent. Yeah, and if I need him to go hunt down my enemy scheme runners, he can do that better than just about anything yep. with the amount of speed and the hitting power that he has. The cherry on top is it's, it's I will argue, still one of the coolest models in Malifaux. I love that yeah. model. Oh, it's incredible. The only other thing that I'll usually take as a scheme runner or other support piece is a model that actually we don't really see a lot of talk about in the Bayou uh, right now because I think a lot of people feel like he really took a huge nerf from uh, 2E, and that's Bert Jebson. Bert Jebson is near and dear to my heart. Um, he was one of the models that I really loved when I first got into the game. And he's definitely a very different model than he was in second edition. Um, he used to be a frontline damage dealer. He could beat face. He could pass attacks off. He, he was really hard to deal with. Now he's actually pretty squishy. Um, he's really quite easy to kill, but he is probably one of the best flanker schemers in the faction. And I don't think people are playing them as much as they should. And, and you see that as a kind of a two-e hangover, huh, Jesse? Because I mean, I used I used uh, Bert Jepsen in my Nelly crew when I played Guild. Um, yeah, and he just doesn't play the same way now, huh? Not even close. If you try and run him into the middle of an enemy crew to to deal some damage and cause a problem, they're going to swing on him two or three times, and he's just going to die. Right. That's it. He does not have hard to kill. He can't pawn off attacks anymore. Um, the things that he did gain are he uh, he's part of Zip's crew and um, Wong's crew. So he has the hard knock life trigger or uh, keyword ability that Sammy and the Bocor do where I can deal damage to him to give him fast and blowy tokens, which is great. Um, a big one is he has agile, so he can walk out of engagements. Um, he has showboating, so if I pitch a card to uh, cheat something, I can get a little bit of card cycling there. That's great. The big one is that he has reckless. So he's one of the few models outside of pigs that still have Reckless. Yep. So to have a model that's fast 
and has Agile, so I can easily walk out of engagement, scheme, and then charge right back in, or walk out, walk away, and then scheme is a really big deal. Um, he also has another bonus action, just in case you've managed to give him focus, where he can shoot, he can throw a grenade to create a shockwave. So in some circumstances, he can actually be a 4 AP model. Um, his damage track is still great, and uh, as far as most other flanker schemers, if you throw pretty much anything else at him, aside from a really big model like the first mate, he's going to be able to deal with them and then continue to do his job in scheme. That's nice. That's nice. You just got to adjust, right? You can't play in the same way you did in two. So we talked about 12 cups of coffee. Um, I want to talk about any of the uh, other two upgrades. Is there any other two generic Bayou upgrades that are finding a, a home in Kin? Pretty much every single time that I play Kin, I'm going to take Inferiority Complex on at least one model, and that model is usually going to be Raphael. Inferiority Complex gives the model Ruthless, which is an incredibly good tech piece. Um, if I'm playing into a crew where I think manipulative or terrifying are going to be a problem, a lot of times I'll take Inferiority Complex on both Ophelia and Francois. Yeah. I don't want to have, like, if Ophelia has eight attacks in a turn in a perfect world, I don't want to be having to test for terrifying or dealing with the negative flip on manipulative for all those attacks. Um, it also gives swagger. So if this, after this model re resolves a walk action, if it did not have the focus condition, it gains focus plus one. So it basically gives me a free AP. A big thing with swagger is that if you take it on Raphael, which I usually do, since he has agile, if he needs to, he can just walk out of melee, gain a free focus, and then shoot my opponent with a focus two, four, five shot. Um, with potential for crit strike, and he might have the grit frantic, which would give him an additional positive on the attack and damage. So he has a really scary amount of damage potential with that. It does have a minion ability, which frankly I just wouldn't take advantage of in this crew, uh, which is that if the if I'm putting it on a LaCroix Raider, which is pretty much the only minion I'm going to consider it on, um, it allows them to gain a suit of their choice when attacking a less costly model, but since there are only five stones, yeah. not that many four stone models they're going to benefit from that on. But the Swagger and Ruthless are incredibly strong in this group. Definitely. Definitely. Uh, another thing that's kind of funny is, um, so this, I think, is one of the only examples that I've seen in the game of, a, of an upgrade with negative synergy that I would literally never take in this crew because it makes my crew worse. Okay. Um, and that it's very it's a very Bayou thing, um, but it's, it's called Two Gremlins in a Ghillie Suit. So it gives me Disguise, which is great. Nothing wrong with Disguise. Um, it gives me demise, um, a demise ability that replaces them with a bite or summons a Bayou Gremlin when they die, which is again, you know, nothing bad about that. If I put it on a minion, it gives them a bonus action for a, a two, three, three damage sidearm shot, which is not that great. The thing that gives it negative synergy is that it has gives them, gives them an ability called Gremlin on your head, which is this model has plus one size. Yeah. Which completely contradicts your defenses. Yeah, I don't want any of my kin to be size two. I want them yeah. all to be size one. <laughs> no, that makes a ton of sense. That makes a ton so, of sense. Pretty funny that that actually makes my crew worse if I take it. Yeah, I will right. not be using. Well, Jesse, that gives us a really kind of a good idea of of what your core crew looks like and and some of the flex pieces you have. When we get back from the break, what I want to talk about a little bit is, uh, you know, what are some strategies and schemes that uh, just scream Ophelia and and the kin crew, and um, what are some items in the uh, pools that make you think, you know what, I, the kin is a good counter, so it'll, it'll help prevent my opponent from scoring. So we'll take a break and we'll be right back.
Howdy friends, Craig here. With 3rd Edition Malifaux released, it's time for you to get a new mat with new deployment zones. We've tried every mat in the business and nobody has better quality and selection than mats by Mars. They're waterproof and they roll and unroll easily and they're even wet erase Marco compatible. They offer over 35 designs and let you add M3E overlays for making deployment and positioning a breeze. Check them out at matsbymars.com. They are offering a sweet discount for our listeners. After you found the perfect mat, use the promo code THIRDFLOOR to get 10% off your entire order. If you really want to support us in the notes of your order, request that our logo be put in the corner of your mat. It's the only way to make the best mat in the business even cooler. Again, that's Matt by Mars. Use the promo code THIRDFLOOR to get a 10% discount. Details are in the show notes. So how much are three or four of these episodes worth to you a month? Third Floor Wars has a Patreon, and if you think they're worth a dollar, five dollars, twenty dollars a month, swing by and become a patron. We have polls to decide the next episode of the pod, along with early releases of articles and podcasts. Everything we release goes out to everyone, but sometimes our patrons get a head start. The link is in the show notes, or just search for Third Floor Wars on Patreon.com. Thanks for the support. Quick shout out to some of our newest patrons, Nathan Howe, Craig Chuba, Alice Dare Kunif, Decca Goody, Adam Rogers, Damian Guy, Owen Best, and Alan Foltz. Guys, we really appreciate uh, your support. Thanks. So normally when we talk about kind of the core crew um, here in a deep dives, you know, we only get a handful of models. I think it's interesting, Jesse, that there's really a lot of models that um, that you're getting a lot of value out of. I, out of curiosity, you know, once you kind of build your core crew, how, how many flex stones are we talking about uh, to be able to, you know, make some adjustments with? Sure. So um, the core crew is actually relatively small for Ophelia, uh, at least the way that I play her. So the stuff that I'm really going to take every single time, almost without fail, is still going to leave me with 18 stones left to hire, which is pretty darn good. And yeah, the that's good. Crew is going to be Ophelia, the three young, of course, Francois, Raphael. I will almost always take inferiority complex on him, the healer in the Bocor, and then I'll usually take Rami. So that gives me 18 stones where I can flex to scheme, to disrupt, or, or do whatever else I need to do. No, 18 is a good flex point. That's a good flex point. So let's talk about strategies, uh, Jesse. What are what are some strategies that you think she excels in? So unsurprisingly, she's a murder machine. Uh, she's going to excel in the strategies that she can really use that to score her points. Um, turf war is a great one for her. She's going to focus, and this is actually something that we're gonna I'm gonna say is an Ophelia thing across the board, which is that. She is really big on denial rather than scoring all eight of my points. Um, very frequently, I'll have relatively low score games. Like I might finish out at like four or five points, but my opponent has like one or two. Right. Because I've denied them the ability to score the rest of their points. Um, that said, turf war, obviously, you know, killing is a, is a big aspect of that. Um, she's usually going to take her first, you know, two turf markers, probably take the third one in the center. 
And in most cases, she's never really been going to try to take the turf markers on the opponent's side of the board. She's just going to score her probably two, maybe three points on that, and then just deny my opponent the ability to score very much at all on it. Um, reckoning is absolutely her bread and butter. Um, I think she does Reckoning better than pretty much any other master in Bayou. Uh, with her ability to project ranged threat and having an entire crew that is so durable, it's really difficult for most opponents to deal with that. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought. I'm glad you mentioned that because that that's one of the takeaways I've gotten from you so far, Jesse. Is that unlike a lot of other Bayou crews, um, she is shockingly resistant as a keyword. Yeah, I mean, between a couple of models with hard to kill, shielded all over the place, hiring in and out of keyword healer. Yeah, um, it, she's. It's a very difficult crew to deal with from a damage perspective, and, and not something that you expect necessarily when someone declares. Uh, uh, Bayou. Um, so I think that that helps find her her, her a place, I would assume. Um, as far as the other ones, I mean, with Corrupted Idols, she's not, she doesn't excel at doing it, but she's excellent at denying it. If my opponent is dealing damage to their own models, that's even less damage than I need to deal with uh, deal to them to, to take them out. Um, and then Plant Explosives is really the only one I'm not probably going to play her in. There are just other masters that are better at it. That that's the big problem, I think, for you and Bayou is that there's you, you've got so many other better options. Um, so it's, I can see what you're saying. Like, like you have to be really good at plant explosives to compete with the other masters in Bayou. Exactly. So I mean, as far as the other three, I would happily take her into Corrupted Idol. She's not a bad choice, and I'm absolutely going to consider her for reckoning and turf war. How about on the scheme front? Are there certain schemes that um, that if, if they're in the pool and you you've brought kin that uh, you feel like you get uh, one or two points out of? Yeah, for sure. Uh, I mean, Vendetta is an, is a phenomenally good scheme for this crew, specifically because of Raphael, um, especially if you put inferiority complex on him, because he's an eight stone model. So he's got a lot of choices in terms of nine and 10 stone models that he, he can, excuse me, that he can pick for his, uh, target. Um, most crews are going to have some sort of an eight or a nine or a 10 stone model that I'm probably going to have to deal with anyway. So to have him, who's really good at punching above his weight class um, and is also very difficult to kill. Uh, that's an easy scheme for her to accomplish in most cases. Yeah. And I got to tell you that that's the sweet spot I've been finding with Vendetta myself is that right at seven to eight stones, um, because to your point, you're going to see enough nine and teners out there that you're going to have a target, but at seven to eight stones, your model could see the end of the game. Yeah, and that's the thing is if you if you try and get cute and pick a really low cost model to use as your vendetta model, it's so easy for them to get deleted in most cases. Um, it's just way too risky for my uh, for my liking. Like I would never take vendetta with a Lacroix Raider. Right, um, they're cute, but they're just way too easy to kill. Yep. Um, another one is going to be assassinate, and this one's cool because it, she's excellent at assassinate both from an offensive and defensive perspective. Um, I mean, she can she can kill an enemy master with the best of them, but she is so hard to take down yeah. that it's very difficult to score it against her. Is there any so for people playing against uh, Ophelia? Um, obviously, you know, assassinates one of them. Are there any schemes that um, they really should think twice about uh, about taking against Ophelia? Right. Um, what does she What does she counter uh, from the scheme I mean, perspective? Frankly, she counters Vendetta pretty well also because the only, most of the time, the only target is going to be Francois because he's my right. only nine stone model. Um, and he's pretty difficult to put down with hard to kill stones, all that other tech. 
Um, so it's another one where she's great at scoring it and also great at denying it. Um, as far as other stuff, um, she's actually pretty good at denying dig graves and she's good at scoring it uh, because of her ability to discard scheme markers with one of her arsenal upgrades. She can pick up your opponent's scheme markers for dig. And then with Maris and a few other models in, in keyword or out of keyword, she can have she has a pretty easy time dropping the dig graves markers yep. as well. And I would apply to detonate as well, I would assume. Yeah, um, I don't take detonate very often because I really, if I'm going to take that, I really have to tech into it yeah. most of the time. And it's even if even if I just take Maris, it's still fairly difficult to score. Like you almost really have to take Maris and another schemer like uh, like Trixie or something like yeah. that. I don't really like having to spend you know thirteen or sorry fourteen stones with the out of keyword decks just to score one scheme. Um, the other thing about Dig is that it's so easy for Ophelia to score the end of the game, which I think a lot of people forget about. Yep. Um, yeah. Good stuff. Uh, another kind of oddball choice is Take Prisoner, um, just because she's so good at killing the opponent's crew that it's very easy for her to isolate a, a Take Prisoner target. And her crew is so durable that if I do manage to isolate it, it's going to have a hard time killing stuff in order to get away. Oh, that's interesting. I wouldn't have thought of that. I like that pick. Yeah, I mean, I don't like deliver a message because I don't necessarily want to keep the opponent's master on the table, but I will happily take take prisoner and uh, keep one of their weak models on the table. Uh, and then another good one is claim jump, just because Maris is awesome at it. Yeah, she is good at it. So uh, talk me through the ideal pool. So I want to hear the, the strat, which I think would be reckoning. Um, what are the five uh, schemes that would be perfect for her as far as ones she could score on and ones she could, could deny. Yeah, I mean, honestly, it's just those five schemes that I just mentioned. So Reckoning, you're absolutely right on. I'm going to take her into that. And if the fool looks something like Vendetta, Assassinate, Dig Graves, Take Prisoner, and Claim Jump, that's pretty much perfect for me because they're going to have a heck of a time scoring Claim Jump, Dig, Assassinate, Vendetta, they could maybe score the first point on Take Prisoner, but they're yeah. going to have a really hard time with the second one. And what I kind of like about that ideal pool, Jesse, is that um, like one of the things I like to to think about when I hear an ideal pool, when people talk about you know a, a certain keyword, is is there another keyword in that faction that I think of at the same time? And that is not the case um, with the pool you put out there. So I didn't immediately think of Solmer. I didn't immediately think of Zip. Um, so that, that, that helps me see where she has found a place in Bayou. Yeah. I mean, there are some other keywords that could do a decent job of it. Um, with that pool, I mean, Brewmaster would be good in it based on my limited experience with him. Ma could do it, but her models tend to be a lot squishier than Ophelia's. Um, so if you can focus them down, they're going to drop pretty easily. Uh, but yeah, as far as this keyword goes, I, or this, uh, scheme pool goes, I think she's really the best choice. That's great. That's great. So we're going to take another quick break. It'll be our last break. Jesse, when we get back, we're going to do two things. One, I want to talk about, um, some things that you've learned, uh, as you've gotten your reps in with Ophelia. Um, so some of the second level play, things that people won't notice the first time they play her, but they might notice the 10th time they play her. And then we also need to talk about how to survive against this crew. So we'll be right back. Howdy folks, Craig here. Now, if you love gadgets as much as we do, you're going to love the new Third Floor Wars Gadget Bundle from Schooner Labs. Branded with the logo of your favorite podcast, it comes with two measuring multi-tools, a compass stepper for those tight and important movements, along with a compact dashboard to track your turn, strat, and scheme scoring, along with your soul stones and pass tokens. 
It is the perfect bundle for anyone who plays Malifaux or just wants to look cool while doing it. The link is in the show notes. Check them out and help support your favorite gaming podcast. So Jesse, um, uh, every time I do these deep dives, what I'm finding is that most of the keywords that we talk about, there's uh, kind of some hidden strengths and weaknesses. Um, and they're things that you don't read on the card, you don't see in the first five or six games you play with the keyword. Uh, but they're things that just kind of reveal themselves over time. So I'd be interested to know in a kin crew, you know, now that you've gotten, you know, so many games in with them, what are things that you see now that you didn't see before? Yeah, for sure. Um, one of the big ones is that, and I kind of mentioned this earlier, she is very, very resource intensive, as is the rest of her crew. I mean, the whole crew, with maybe Francois the exception, need the suits that they that on their triggers to be truly effective. Um, Ophelia is extremely suit dependent. I mean, she's got three um, triggers on her main attack, one on everything but a crow, and I swear to you, if I stone for a, a suit, I'm going to flip that suit, and it's going to be a high card. I'm sure you that's know where I'm That's not just that. you. That happens to everybody. <laughs> yeah. And then if I don't stone for a suit, I'm going to flip that stupid crow and not get any trigger at all. <laughs> so she uh, she's very, very um, suit-dependent. Uh, for that reason, I really like to play her with four, at least as a bare minimum, and I, I like her the best at six stones. Um, the other thing is that if you can, her hand, you really need to plan out how you're going to use the cards in her hand. If you just start cheating cards willy nilly, and this is the same with any master, but I feel like, especially with her, if you start cheating your cards willy nilly, you are going to lose so much potential offensive ability with her. Um, it's really going to neuter her effectiveness. Yeah, Jesse, that's not just her. Um, and and your experiences, there, there are certain keywords where you can be, um, a little reckless with your hand, um, because of either a ton of card draw, which we're not seeing a lot in this crew, um, or there's not a lot of card discards, um, things like that. I mean, I, I, I've noticed it with Molly that, um, I have got to be far more conscious of, planning out my hand at the beginning of the turn um, than I do with, with other keywords. Um, and as, as thirsty as she sounds, that does not surprise me at all. Yeah. I mean, really I've only got two means in the crew consistently to draw cards and they're not reliable. Um, and I have a lot of ways to discard cards. So yep. it's yeah, pretty important. So that kind of leads me to the next part, uh, Jesse. Now I would assume um, anything that's putting on hand pressure is, is tr- tough. Now you already do have upgrades to deal with manipulative and to deal with um, terrifying. Um, so uh, other than hand pressure, um, what are some other things that people should look to to tech against her? Sure. I mean, so a lot of her attacks are not going to be high, high, high damage. Um, she herself has high volume of attacks, but the rest of the crew really is going to get the normal number of attacks. You know, maybe one with a focus, two swings. Francois might get three with his flurry. If you've got some sort of strong defensive tech, um, Hoffman being a good example with a lot of armor too, I can chew through that, um, but it's going to be very, very difficult for me, um, especially models that have strong defensive triggers because I don't have any way to deny defensive triggers whatsoever. Yeah. Um, like uh, Colette, you know, something like that would be a real nightmare for me to deal with with Ophelia. Um, another big one is, you know, honestly, 
if you see me taking something that can scheme, like a LaCroix Raider or a Maris or, you know, any, any one of those other schemers that I mentioned, if you prioritize killing them, I took them for a reason. Yeah. Um, it's funny you say that, Jesse. I was thinking about that, that you, I mean, your core crew, you're tacking in schemers. Um, so that's a little bit of a, uh, um, a reveal on your part uh, based on the crew composition. So I'm glad you mentioned that. That's kind of the reason that I like Bert so much as a schemer is that on his face, he, you don't think of him as a schemer. Right. So it doesn't really tip my hand. And I'm going to be putting so much range pressure on my opponent that they might not be able to prioritize him. Um, if, but if I'm taking something else that's a dedicated schemer, like, I mean, if I take like a Silurid or even the first mate, um, kill him. Because if you can kill him, you're probably going to be denying me two points, maybe more, depending on what the scheme pool looks like. Uh, another big one is uh, kill the healer and kill the young. Yep. Uh, young, we didn't talk about how the young are defensively. Uh, they are terrible. Um, <laughs> they are some of the easiest models to kill in the game. Uh, they are defense four. They do not get the plus one from bigger they are. They don't have that ability. They do get the shielded. But they're defense four, willpower three, with no bonuses to those, and they only have two health. They are very easy to kill. Yeah, and they sound a lot like the aspiring students there for um, uh, Shen Long, where you just got to say, you know what? I, before I do anything, I need to get rid of this stuff. Um, then I can start worrying about uh, the master and other parts of the crew. Um, another one, like when I'm up against Zip, there is a totem with a huge target on his head. Uh, yeah. because he, you just get too much out of them. And, you know, it, you, a lot of totems you can ignore, but there's t totems out there you can't ignore. And it sounds like a feel he gets max value out of those totems. So, uh, I, I think that's great advice. Yeah. I think that her totems are the only model that I've ever played that I've been happy to see the insignificant rule on the front of their Oh, Good point. Yeah. They're going to die. And I don't care from a scoring perspective if they die. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes that makes sense. Well, Jesse, it um, I think we got a nice overview um, of of uh, of Ophelia and the Kin crew. Uh, I'm really glad that kind of the the look and feel and flavor of that crew stayed alive. Um, it's not isolated to her. I've noticed that with a lot of uh, the keywords out there, which makes me really happy. Um, I love the fact that I think she has a place in Bayou. Um, I love the toolbox aspect of it because. You know, you, you declare your master before you build a crew, and the fact that um, you really aren't going to know what you're up against on a master uh, front uh, until that happens allows you to not only tech from a build perspective, but she has the flexibility on the table, I think, which is really, really helpful. Um, so, Jesse, you are um, really one of the bigger voices up there in the New England meta, and as far as the New England conference, uh, is there any events coming up that we need to plug? Yeah, for sure. So I actually, I have to report this course to you because it was just the other day, but we actually just had the very first, I believe the very first ranked event in, uh, New in the New England conference, which was a tournament that I had in Fairhaven, Mass on, uh, just Sunday of this week. How did so that go? Oh, it went great. Uh, I mean, we had eight players. Good. Um, two of the players were at, I believe their first tournament ever. That's exciting. Really cool. Yeah. Very, very cool. Uh, we actually also started a league this Tuesday, which is going to run right up uh, for five weeks. It's an escalation league. So we have a couple other new players that are interested in starting. And that's going to lead right into ArmorCon, which is a new gaming convention. This is going to be its first year. Uh, it's in Framingham, Mass., so pretty centrally located. 
Um, hopefully, I'm going to draw in some of the New Hampshire and Connecticut crowds uh, for that, as well as the Western Mass, because it should be pretty easy to get people to. Uh, and that, I believe, is the second ranked uh, event on the uh, the U.S. Folk Tour and the New England Conference. That'll that's, be Columbus Day weekend. That's beautiful. Is that a three or a five rounder? Uh, that we're gonna we're planning on doing a five rounder. If we don't have the participation to make a five rounder, which I'm certainly hoping we will. Then we're actually going to try the new format, the Double Rush Team Tournament on awesome. Sunday, rather than doing a second day of the, the Game Grounds Tournament. That's a great game plan, man. That's a great game plan. So uh, I need to know who's on the podium for uh, your uh, uh, your most recent event. Oh, sure. So uh, we had one player who actually requested he remain nameless because he was supposed to be somewhere else that day. So okay. I won't give him up. But, um, okay. he took first, he, yeah, he took first place with Shenlong. Um, okay. Uh, he ran Shenlong all three rounds, and speaking to Shenlong's effectiveness, it was his first time ever playing him. So, uh, yeah, pretty strong. Yeah. Uh, in second place, we had uh, Adam Talbot. Uh, nice. He's been a, a pretty vocal uh, member of the Malifaux community. He was playing Guild. Uh, yeah. Adam's a good buddy of mine. Adam's a great guy. Yep, real close friend of mine. He only, I mean, we've known each other basically our whole lives. Uh, and then in third place, I had my buddy, Jared Sequeira, who is uh, somewhat less vocal, but he's a great painter and hobbier. Uh, and he, he really is a great upcast player as well. He's been doing that for quite some time. Very cool. Very cool. Well, I'm going to put a link in the uh, show notes to ArmorCon. What were the dates on that again? That is uh, October 11th through the 13th. And for anybody going to ArmorCon, I'm going to let you know, Saturday the 12th is my birthday. Don't get me too wrecked because I need to be able to run the tournament next uh, next morning. <laughs> so, <laughs> real quick, and then we're gonna, we're going to wrap this up. Uh, so Nova this year, right? Uh, we play. I get there Wednesday. Uh, had to work all day Wednesday, even though I didn't want to. Uh, like real work, and then uh, you know Thursday, we did a couple pickup games. Um, uh, had a real good time Thursday. Friday rolls around. Play a three rounder. Um, getting ready for the tournament, um, uh, had fun. And then I went out and by Friday, a lot of people I hadn't seen in a while were there. Um, you know, they had the lounge up at the top floor of the uh, hotel where Nova is, uh, Chrissy Dubois shows up. Um, and, and I got wrecked, Jesse, <laughs> like bad, <laughs> like bad. Uh, people were buying me drinks. I was buying people drinks and, it's amazing that I won a game in the first three rounds on Saturday's GT because the like the cards flipped at ten and I woke up at like nine fifteen and I wasn't really sure where I was when I woke up and I was pretty sure I couldn't stand up immediately. Um, so I think that yeah, uh, try not to do too much damage to yourself the night before. <laughs> I'm gonna make a request to any attendees. If you see me with a drink that looks like it might have alcohol in it, bring me a water. <laughs> That's bring me another drink with alcohol well, in it. I'm glad you tell them not to take it away from you, right? You're just going to temper it. You're not going to be stupid about it, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, come on. <laughs> well, if I don't talk to you, Jesse, uh, have a good birthday. And I'm sure we'll have you on the show again. And I really appreciate you taking the time and putting the uh, uh, getting ready for this. No problem. Thanks, Craig. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Good night. Be sure to check out our shop on thirdfloorwars.com for the latest gaming apparel and gear. While you're there, check out how the USFO Tour is shaping up. How does your conference compare to the others in the United States? Where do you rank nationally? 
Get those models built, painted, and on the table so we can see you at the U.S. Masters Invitational in October of 2020. Also, rate and write a review on this podcast for us. It really helps us find people almost as cool as you are. Thanks for listening. Howdy, friend. Craig here. Is this episode making you realize you need to buy some models? Gadzooks Gaming is my favorite online retailer because of their large selection, killer prices, and great customer service. Don't you hate buying an entire crew box when you only need one model? Gadzooks sells crew box models individually and saves you a ton of money. They even have free shipping to the U.S. and Canada if you spend $100 or more. Swing by gadzooksgaming.com and make sure you tell them Craig from the third floor sent you. All the details are in the show notes. All right, brother, we're doing pretty good on time. Usually this last segment's not more than 10 or 15 minutes, so. The only other thing I want to try and weave in, and this is more for comic perspective, is uh, the red-headed stepchild of the pin, which is Pear Ravage, because... He is cool, but he does not work with the rest of the crew that way. <laughs> so who's this now? What now? Uh, Pear Ravage. Oh, um, gotcha. He's, he's great, but he is not great in any of the things that Ophelia is great in. Which are like <laughs> well, that'd be a good joke to lead with counters. Is this, so you can counter yourself for bringing this model, and then you can talk about yeah, it. Exactly. <laughs> That's All a good right. way to do it.